rich or poor, they invented this thing called the nightlight. The original nightlight was a clay jar that had olive oil as its fire agent, burning agent, and coming out of it was a wick. And whether you were rich or poor, this, this light, this lamp would sit next to your bed all night long burning, right? Kind of dangerous probably if it caught uh, like an old school comforter or something. But the intent of this was that if anyone were to walk in your house or walk out of your house, for instance, to use old school facilities, whatever that looked like back then, that, that they would be able to see that there would be light that would fill the entire house. And that light essentially would consume the darkness to a point that you could see so that your shins didn't become like a bruisy mess like some of us have experienced before waking up in the middle of the night, right? And stubbing your toe on the bedpost or whatever it may be. This, this image tonight is an image that Jesus masterfully is going to take and is going to tie together last week's text and this week's. And we saw last week that Jesus was describing four types of soils, all right? And the first soil that he described was, was a soil that fell along a trafficked path. In other words, uh, it, it was soil that in, in, in old school Mediterranean fields, there would be walkways because they didn't have like John Deere's back then, right? And so you had to walk places to, to be able to plow and to be able to sow seed. And, and, and he describes this first soil as being soil where seed falls on it and it, it's just trafficked on. It gets trampled on. And so like it, it can't do anything. And, and in his parable, he says that birds come down and eat it up. When he describes the parable to his disciples, he says, it's like the devil comes down and steals it out of their heart. And the image that he's giving is that First Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says that our enemy is prowling around looking for someone to devour. That it's like a seed is just sitting there just for the taking. So Satan is able to come down and implant doubts or false teaching or whatever it may be to distract this person from hearing the word and retaining the word and persevering and producing a crop. The second type was, well, was, was a, uh, some soil that had a, a very thin layer of soil and underneath it was a, a bed rock or a layer of rock. And so it, it's almost like the, the, the person who gets excited at first about the word. All four of these soils hear, hear the word, so they get excited about the word, but there's no, like, there's no sustenance. There, there's no, it like hits rock and, and, and scripture says that it just it withers. There's no moisture. There's no longevity. The third type of soil that he described was basically the soil that's trying to have the best of both worlds. That's trying to like to have the soil that is fruitful in the person of Jesus, but then have the soil who still gets to participate in the world's riches and pleasures. And Jesus says that that, that type of seed grows in soil and then gets, then gets squelched by thorns. And only one out of the four of these soils produce a crop, and that fourth soil, he says, with a good and honest heart, hear the word, retain the word, and then by persevering, produce a crop. And I left you guys with this thought last week. That God saves, and we sow. He's calling us to sow seed, to spread the good news of the secrets of the kingdom of God, which he described to the disciples last week. And we're called to sow that seed everywhere we go. And God saves. In other words, it rests on Him. 
And we are to be grateful and thankful for the fact that His sovereign plan is way bigger than we can even begin to grasp. Are you guys with me? We sow and He saves. And this week, friends, He connects all of this and not just connects it, but takes it to the next level. So grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible or some to the left and to the right of our subwoofers, you'll need one. We love for everyone here to have a word in their hands. By the way, hey, thanks for coming to Matthias. We're, we're so glad you're here. If tonight's your first time, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you in our midst tonight. We work through Scripture verse by verse, believing that that is the best way of, for us, that God has called us to do that, so that we have to wrestle and deal with hard teachings, even like the one tonight. Luke chapter 8, verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. In other words, in a Palestinian home, when the light is sitting next to the bed, you don't put the light underneath the bed or underneath the jar because what Jesus is saying is that would be ignorance. Like it would, the light, it would serve no purpose. The purpose of the light is to be shining so when people come in and out of the house, they can see. And Jesus is challenging the disciples, still talking to them, by the way, and saying, Brothers, you guys need to take hold of this message that the call is crystal clear. You are to sow and spread the light that I am. First John chapter 1 Verse 5, in Him, come on now, there is no darkness at all. God is what? God is light. You guys get that? Anytime Scripture talks in absolutes, our eyes should get wide open. In Him, there is no darkness at all. There's none. There's no darkness. So the image that He's giving us is when you take and sow this great message of good news and hope and perseverance and retention, you take it in the hope that the light will spread and the light will grow. But friends, and I know we're like getting into it here like early off, like right off the bat here, but like what are you doing then? Why are you still reluctant? Why are you still fearful? Why do you still act as if this light has no bearance on those around you and is not worth the spreading of? Why are you still living life with your head down? Several months ago I gave an example of walking into Walmart and the many people that we interact with in every single moment and how with our head down we miss so many opportunities just to be an encouragement to be a reflection of Jesus just simply by loving friends why still the fear honestly huh it's like it's like some of you if not most of us are just doing life you know what i mean we just wake up and we're just we're just in the same routine every day we're just doing it you know it, we've, we've become so accustomed to it. It's like alarm goes off, you know. Bam, yeah, and we hit. Are any of you guys snooze people? You just hit it like four or five times. Those people are freaks. I don't understand that. Just set it for when you need to wake up. You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. You wake up like four or five times. No offense, kind of, right? Right? You, you hit the alarm and, and you're just in the same rhythm. 
And right when you get in your car, you do the same thing like today because it's a hundred and billion out. Like, what is up with that? You know, you crank the AC as high as you can go and then you drive and you, you get to work and you see the same people and do the, you're just doing life. Friends, can I propose this to you? There's a difference between doing life and living life. You have access to the light of the world. In fact, Matthew, it, it phrases it differently, right? It says, you are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. Therefore, do not like light it and put it under a bowl. No, no, no. Put it on the top of the mountain so that it will shine everywhere. So that everyone can see that in you, there is something different. So I have a few questions for you, especially if you're a believer here tonight. Because, like I mentioned last week, at the pool party, or whatever it may be, I still see so much fear and reluctance just even to engage people, just to ask individuals questions, drawing from their life and seeing where their heart is at. Is it still that you still lack confidence in God? Is that what it is? Because God, over and over and over in Scripture, says that He is your refuge, that He is your strength. That you do not have a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-control. So is it that you, do, that you still are having trouble having confidence in God? Because if He resides in you, do you understand the significance of that? That there's no fear to be had. Or, or maybe it's because you still have no significance in the value of the Word of God. And maybe you have no value in the Word of God because you're not in the Word of God. So how can you have value from the Word when you're not in the Word? Or is it simply that you're confused that we're called to sow? Is that what it is? Because friends, Scripture is crystal clear about each of those Three things. God is your refuge and your strength. The Word will never return void. It is sharp, it is, sharp, it is active, it, it is living, and you are called to go therefore and what? Make disciples of all nations, shining this light to everyone that you see. So why, church, are we still just so fearful and reluctant? Why do we not understand that we have, it's like imagine this, a forest that is just completely pitch black and we, we hold like the one lamp in the entire forest. Wouldn't you want everyone to be able to see that light pouring out of your life? We're so fearful, so reluctant. I'm wondering how many of you just need to stop doing life and start living life. You need, to be, you need to have a routine broken. You need to be praying, in fact, that God will make you uncomfortable. That will mix it up a little bit. That will take some of the comforts out of your life so that you can more clearly see the individuals around you that are to be pouring into. Look at this, verse 17, he goes on. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought into the open. In other words, the light serves two purposes. The light sheds light on the truth of the person of Jesus. The light is truth. God is light. So the light sheds light on the truth and person of Jesus. And it also, friends, sheds light on the nature of man. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Keep your finger in Luke. And just flip a few pages to John chapter 3. 
Verse 19 says this. You there? This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Is, is that what it is? Is that what it is? Like it's this fear that if you were to properly portray the light of the person of Jesus, that then that would just ultimately bring your deeds to the forefront and you're not ready to deal with that, even though Jesus said that His grace is sufficient. Do you understand our ignorance? It's like we're fearful to bring our evil deeds out to light when He says, cast your burdens on me because I care for you. That's why this church is seeking to be a place where people can come in and hear about God's grace. And not be a place where we all feel like we have to come in having it all together, friends. Living in darkness. You guys see the difference? Do you see the importance? Because it'd be easy just to come in and all of us living our dark lives as individuals and then come here and clap our hands and then leave back into the darkness. What if God, just through His light, was continuing to unconceal everything so that it was laid bare so that we could truly accept the grace of God and reflect that grace to everyone? Because they need it, don't they? Because the scripture says that people are choosing darkness. That, that, that it's there. Everyone who does evil hates the light. It will not come into the light, the fear that his deeds will be exposed. Verse 21. But whoever lives by the truth, friends, look at this, comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You see that? It points to God. We come into the light so that we may reflect and give glory to the one where it's due. We come into the light to reflect the light as the person of God. And verse 18 of back to Luke says this. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Right, right? So we get this image, right? Carry the light. Nothing's going to be concealed. The truth is, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. How many of you just come in places like this where the Word of God is being proclaimed and it's just, it's just shut down mode or, or it's taking pieces that whatever it's convenient for you or you shut down in the hard parts that are more convicting that the Spirit is working but you listen to the jokes because those are funny. Whatever it may be, be careful how you listen, Jesus saying. Why? Because so far through the parable of the sower and even now, what has it been about? It's been about hearing. It's been about hearing retaining, persevering, and producing a crop. And it all begins where? With hearing. Last week I shared, I shared that there's a difference between hearing and hearing. We all, know what, we all know what we're talking about. Like you can hear someone by listening to the words but not really hearing them at all. Be careful how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. And, and in other words, as the word has life and is being opened before you ever has, it'll just continue to pour out. I, as Christ, will continue to bless you with wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs says, search for it as if for hidden treasure. Then you will know and find the knowledge of God. And whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. And this is a, a, a very a distinct quote against the pharisaical way of thinking. I have all this knowledge. This means that I'm escalated to the highest nature. And Jesus says, no, 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 like you think you have everything, but actually you have nothing. You have this, but you aren't shining and breathing this. 
Friends, I'm wondering how many of you tonight are just doing life. The light is not shining. You're just doing your thing. Friends, we need to start living a whole lot more of the life that he's called us to live. Look at this. Verse 19 says this. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to, uh, to near him because of the crowd. And again, these are some brothers had probably between uh, Mary and Joseph, post Mary and Joseph getting married. They didn't have any more babies uh, out of wedlock or given any more babies by the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says this. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And this may appear like the first yo mama joke, but this is actually not. Verse 21. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Like maybe at first glance you're like, like why is Jesus dissing on his family? Like what, what's up with that? No, no, no. What he's saying is, is that, and, and he's kind of completing this whole teaching. Those who are connected to me physically, like that's one thing, but there's this whole other group of people that are connected to me on this whole other spiritual level. And those people are the people who are hearing my words and putting them into practice. And those people are my family. My brothers and sisters by the physical realm are great. I mean, it's awesome, but, 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 but some people are connected to me on a whole different level. And those people are my family. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this, Do not really listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Poietos is the word there, but do what it says. Like, why do we gather here? You know, really. Can I ask you a question? At the core of it all, if we were just to get to the very core of a beating, red, bloody heart. Phenomenal image this evening. What really do you think this life is about? Isn't that the question? If we were just to rip it all all away, really get at the heart, at the core of what you believe this life is really about. It's like we can either take this life believing that it's all for the glory of Him or the other option that it's all for the exaltation of ourselves. Is there any in between? Is there any black and white there? Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You serve one or the other, right? What is this life all about? Jesus says my family are those who hear my words and put them into practice that faith and deeds work together beautifully because they have to. What did Jesus say about the candle? No one, no one has a light or has a candle next to his bed and puts it under the bed to serve the same purpose. You can't do it. You'd be an ignoramus to do that if that's even a word. It's not possible. You won't do that. Jesus says no one. So friends, what are we doing? Is this life really about the glory and exaltation of God or is it about the exaltation of yourself? Which one? Because if it is about Him and the pursuit of Him and our response to Him, then friends, don't you think that there's some light that needs to be spread? Don't you think there's some seed that needs to be sown? Don't you think that there's some love that needs to be spread all over this land? We gather to hear the Word of God and to leave this place and put it into practice to do it, to poietas it. Now Jesus moves to a very practical story. And if you look at the subtitle, it said Jesus calms the storm. 
Like you're instantly getting excited because you're like, I know this story, I know this story, this is awesome. Jesus like comes down and tornadoes and typhoons. I need you guys to understand the Sea of Galilee a little bit. First of all, 680 feet below sea level, that's low, okay? It's surrounded by mountains, all right? Just to the, uh, I believe it would be the east of the Mediterranean Sea. Like if you're looking at a globe, which way would this be? Is that the east or west? I always get confused that way. All right, east, yeah. Just to the east of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, what would happen is you would have mountains that are high and there's cool air coming from the Mediterranean Sea, warm air billowing because it's lower than sea level. I sound like Count on Kent all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to start tossing out umbrellas just because I made it within 30 degrees of what I predicted, you know what I mean? And so what would happen is this cool air would connect with the warm air and these storms would all of a sudden rise up over the Sea of Galilee. It's not a big sea. It's, it's, a, it's more like a big lake. I've been there before, sat on the shore, had one of my greatest moments in connection with the Creator there at the Sea of Galilee. So understand that. Get that picture in your mind as we look at verse 22. One day, Jesus said to His disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now, a lot of things have happened in the life of Jesus, and I need you guys to pay close attention to these words. What does He say? Let's go to the other side of the lake. When I ask you, are you struggling with confidence that the Word of God has great value, what I'm asking you is, do you believe that things like this like, have value? Or do they mean what they mean? When Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake, do you believe that that is like a suggestion? Like He's saying, like, hey, um, guys, let's take a vote, right? There's 13 of us, so it'll, it'll end up odd, and you know, we'll take a vote, and we'll see if we... No, He says, let's go to the other side of the lake. In other words, let me interpret, boys... Get in the boat, we're going to the other side of the lake. Which that line is key in the understanding of the rest of this story. Continuing on verse 22. So they got into the boat and set out. How many of you guys are boaters? Anyone boaters here? Anyone boaters here? Any boaters? Boaters? Anyone? Alright, all one of you. Yeah, your boat just sat at the, at the bottom of the lake not too long ago. We don't want to take boating things from you. Now really quickly, cool, I don't want to share the whole story. But many of you guys will remember that I had an experience on a, on a sea in a Walmart raft myself, right? And I bought this Walmart raft thinking that I could experience the waves. And so me and my buddy bought this uh, $20 Walmart raft. And we ended up like, because we just wanted to get out and see the ocean. We ended up going out and we were, like we ended up like two miles out from the shore in this Walmart raft, all right? There's something, incre- like this story is, is perfectly placed. Because if, if you've ever even seen a piece of Jaws ever... This, the ocean is scary, man. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care how, like, how mechanical that Jaws was in the early goings. Like, it, that's the movie's from, like, 1971. I don't care how mechanical or fake that thing looked. Anytime you get in the ocean and you're, like, up here, you're just thinking to yourself, you know, like, like what is around me right now? I might just lose my leg, you know? I mean, this, the sea is a scary place. Why? Because it's like this unknown. Especially if you're in a boat in this massive area of water. It's like the perfect example of loss of control. So do you guys get the scene? In a boat, loss of control, on a sea, and a storm is coming. All the while, Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. As they sailed, he fell asleep. I love this because this shows us the, the fully man part of Jesus. Like, he needs sleep, right? Like, it's not like he was just walking around and could just go 24 hours after 24 hours, like drinking Jerusalem Dew or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? He, he, was, he had to sleep. 
He had to eat. So when things like Scripture, when Scripture says that he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, it shows us this, this great image of the human Jesus in the same Scripture. We'll see the other aspect as well. He fell asleep and a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Again, like the air masses perfectly Warm air coming down, cool air coming down from the Mediterranean meets the warm air over the sea, and all of a sudden you have a squall. Probably a small boat, and all of a sudden water is. I mean, can you? I need you to understand the sounds. I need to picture. I need you to picture the waves. I need you to understand that water is coming over the boat. I need you to put yourself there. Scared? When you're looking around at this huge sea. Jesus is sleeping. You look around to your other boys. You guys are fishermen. You may have seen a squall before. But Scripture says they were in great danger. I mean, it, it, was, it was dire. In fact, the ESV we'll see in a second interprets the Scripture that they thought they were going to perish. They thought that they were going to die, friends. I need you on that boat right now. I need you to, in your mind, have this image of all of the things that have happened that you've seen. You are just a fisherman or a tax collector. And so far, you've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. You've seen Him heal paralytics. You've seen Him cast out demons, right? You've seen all of these things. And here you are in a boat with the Savior of the world sleeping. And you're looking around to all of your friends and you're in great danger. I need you to be there. Can you picture it? Like, I guarantee we would all be scared, man. The sea is just this confusion and big. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Epistata, Epistata, or Master, Master. We see the same frame back in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, one of the first times that the disciples interact with Jesus. We're going to drown. So, we can give them some props that at least they go to a good source, Right? It's like the guy who raised someone from the dead, let's go wake him up. You know what I mean? Like this would be a good move on our part. Epistata, epistata, master, master, we're going to drown. And like I said, the ESV interprets it, we're going to perish. We're going to die. Jesus had already said, go to the other side of the lake. His response is this. He got up, and you imagine like this crazy storm, and just kind of like wiping his eyes. Like hands almost in his pocket, you know what I mean? Like Psalm 89 verse 9 says this, that God has control over the waves. So you just get this image of Jesus waking up from his sleep, you know, kind of the eye boogers in the corners, you know? It's like, hey, what's going on, guys? Master, Master, we're going to drown. We are going to die. He gets up, and look at this. He rebukes the storm rebukes the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. Now, if you've ever been on the lake after a storm, what happens after clouds go away? Do the waves just stop? No, no, no. Like, it takes time for waves to calm down, because we're talking about a huge body of water. So not just does Jesus calm the storm, friends, but He calms the water. It's as if, like, everything was chaos, and in an instant, can you get the picture? It's just perfectly Calm. It's completely peaceful. It's like, ca-caw, I mean, the birds are chirping in the background. It's a movie. It's a movie picture all of a sudden. Again, you're a disciple. Paralytic has been healed. People have been raised from the dead. And now you've just seen Jesus 
calm the weather. But Jesus isn't done with the disciples. He asked them this question. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. Where is your faith? You should be thinking to yourself, this is a question of location, right? This is not a, que- a question of value. If you look at Matthew and Mark's account of this same story, it's questions like, like, like what happened to your faith? Why ye of so small faith? Ye of a, but Luke focuses on location of faith. And when you put it in this context of who Luke is writing to, remember, he's a, he's, a, he's a Gentile writing to the Gentile Theophilus, and his main purpose is to get Theophilus to understand that Christ is Lord. So when Jesus says, where is your faith? He's not implying that they don't have faith. They've just said, epistata, epistata, master, master, we're going to drown. Jesus says, where is your faith? In other words, is it right here, right now? Friends, this is what Jesus is saying. And to me, this is a question of teaching. What he's saying is, boys, you have to see in, in, in our ministry right now so early that no matter what your need is, no matter what your perceived need is, no matter what your life is, I am greater than that. My power is greater than that. I as king am bigger than that. Your needs do not even compare to my power. What he's saying is, where is your faith? Is it right here, right now amidst the storm? Or is it going to be like six months from now, like, dude, Jesus calmed the storm. So, divorce, financial struggle, relation chaos, breaking up with a significant other, someone hating you, a hard conversation. It's like it's so easy in those times of storm, because the storm's coming, friends. You remember a couple of weeks ago that we saw Jesus giving an example of a house that's built either on this rocky foundation or on a slippery slope. And the image was the torrent is coming to both. Friends, the storm is coming. It's inevitable, in fact. Whether it be financial struggle or relationship chaos or whatever it may be, the storm is coming. What Jesus is saying is, where's your faith? It's like it's, like it's so easy for us, friends, in those moments to get so desperate to be able to, to crawl ourselves out to see that, oh, oh yes, God, that's right. God, my life is so messed up right now and now I turn to Him. And so then we crawl and He pulls. And three or four months later we look back and we say, man, that God, He's a jolly good fellow. Jesus is saying, where is your faith Right here, right now. I'm not interested in where your faith will be three months from now. I'm not interested in where it was before we got on this boat. I'm interested in where it is right now. Amidst the storm. It's just, it's just resided. Do you see me as Jesus and my power as greater than your need all the time. Friends, this is a question of teaching. He needs His disciples to understand that your needs always will be less than my power. 
And then we have all of these other things like perceived needs. Right? Jesus, I really need an Xbox 360. You know? Jesus, I really need the bigger this or the best that. And we're like praying that. Are you willing to relinquish what you see as your needs to what God sees as your need? And the heart of it goes back to the question that I asked at the beginning of the service. If we were to rip it all down and at the core of it, what would you say your purpose is? Because what Jesus would say is, your need is to glorify me, period. That's what your need is. And everything else comes after that. So if that's our purpose, is it possible that when Jesus says, head out on the lake, go to the other side, and we believe in a sovereign God, that Jesus knew full well the storm was coming. Come on. He knew full well the storm was coming. And why do you think he falls asleep? It like escalates the point a little bit even. It's like, hey boys, you're going to try to figure this out a little bit. I'm going to be sleeping over here just to show you that I'm always here and I'm always present. And when I leave and send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, you need to know and remember that no matter how dire your situation, that I am here. You see, we see all of these things in our life as like these horrible things. Oh yeah, Romans 8.28, God works for the good of those who, are, who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Well, what's good? Do you think that you can define good? Or do you believe that we better let good, we better leave good up to the one who created good? He created and it was what? Good. He created and it was good. He created and it was good. I know in your mind that you have this image of what good is, but is it possible, friends, that some of those storms, because they will give God glory, are good? Is His will and sovereignty greater than your plans or not? Aren't we ignorant? Jesus is saying, wake up. Where is your faith right now? Do you see that I've sent us out on this lake knowing full well that the storm would come so that I could teach you something more about me and exalt myself that way because you would have a bigger picture of me. And that when I leave this earth, Peter, 50 days after the Passover, you would be able to say, in the name of Jesus, walk. Because you had no fear. You had no relinquishing of your own. You completely trusted that your needs were way under my power. I'm not saying that it's easy in the storm, friends. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying like amidst it. But that is so easy. But Jesus has prepared us for this lesson. How? He says those people who hear my word with a good and honest heart and retain it and persevere and produce a crop, those people, those are my believers. Why? Because they're prepared for the storm. In the storm, they're able to step back and say, hold on a second. Like, I know this may be hard and I know this may be difficult, but my my mindset and my heart set is 
How am I giving, how am I able to give God more glory in this situation here and now? Many of you guys know I went through a hard divorce with my parents. Really hard. And I'm not saying that it was easy by any stretch through that entire time to be able to sit back and say, God be the glory, God be the glory, God be the glory. But now that I'm out of the storm, pretty much, I look back and I see all of the opportunities that He was extending to me to draw me to Himself that I could see a bit, and my callous, ignorant heart was just, was just willowing in my own pain. Have you ever been there? It's like your own pain, your own suffering. You just see the mirror right in front of you and that's all you can see is just your stuff and your, your messed up in this. I like it. You know, that's all you see. When it's like he's saying, where is your faith here and now in the storm? Wake up. Because my power will always be greater than your need. And you need to see that your need is to glorify me. And so relinquish control on a boat in the middle of a wavy sea. And friends, look at the way the disciples reacted. And I've been here too. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? Again, you've seen the leper healed. You've seen the dead walk. And the disciples, after he takes the weather into his hands, they're like, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey Him. Friends, we need to open our eyes. We need to realize tonight that everything happens in our world under God's allowance. I'm not saying that's an easy concept to grasp. I'm not saying that that is a that, that that concept like makes you run out of here and be like, yeah. But what it can do is it brings you back to your knees in complete grasp that He allows for what purpose? To bring Himself more glory. And that that is at the core of what our life is to be about. More glory for God. So friends, get your head out of the pit. You're in a storm. I know, it's inevitable, it's coming. How have you prepared yourself for that moment so that when the question is asked, where is your faith? Right here and right now, not three months ago, not six months, ago, not six months from now, but right here in the tears, in the cries, in the yells, in the hurt, in the pain. Is it on me? Do you really believe that my power is greater than your need or not? And then you can sit under the sovereignty of a good God and say, I'm thankful that you see the bigger perspective and all I can see is this little storm in my life. Friends, we need to wake up. And then what happens? Because the world isn't looking at us, friends, in the times when everything is grand. You know when they're looking at us? in the times of great hurt and great pain and distress. 
And they're watching our reaction. Why? Because that's where they are. They're in the darkness, consumed by their pain. They don't need an answer for like more happiness. They need a connection with the all-joyful, the all-knowing, the all-sovereign. And so when they see believers responding in the storm, saying, I don't understand, but what I do know is the glory of God. What I do know is His power is greater than my need. Do you understand, church, that what they see is, I want that light. Because my entire life is hurt, is pain, and confusion. It's time to wake up. Let's stand together. So you're a disciple. And you have seen the dead walk. And you have seen the leprous cured. In fact, more than that, you've seen a sinful woman cry all over the feet of Jesus. You've seen tax collectors called. You've seen fishermen You've seen all of this, and now you've just seen Jesus control the wind and the waves and the sea. Friends, where's your faith? 